Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge's online worship service. I'm glad that you have joined with us. I am Pastor John, and this week we are continuing our look at the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, as we continue our sermon series entitled Cultivate. So in this online service, you will hear the word of God preached, you'll hear the scriptures read, um, and there will be uh, some music towards the end of it to help guide you in, in your worship. And before we get into it, though, we do have some announcements to let you know about what's happening at Stonebridge Community Church, to let you know how you can become part of our community. So I invite you to listen to the announcements, and then let's hear the Word of God preached. Thank you for joining us, and God bless you. Welcome to Stonebridge. Stonebridge Day Camp is quickly approaching, and we can use your help. Prep days are scheduled for June 19th and 27th. If you can hammer a nail or manage a paintbrush, you're qualified. Come when you can and leave when you must. Email Miss Stephanie to put your name on the list. Not available to help in person? Check the weekly newsletter to make a donation of supplies through Amazon. We would love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in the Bible app, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. Once again, welcome to worship. We are continuing our sermon series entitled Cultivate, where we're looking at Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the letter to the Philippians, in order to see how God cultivates churches, to see how God cultivated the church in Philippi, so that we can also see how God is cultivating us at Stonebridge and cultivating the church in our nation and in the state of California. So this week, we'll be looking at Philippians 1, verses 15 through 18. I'll be reading from the NRSV translation today. So I invite you to hear the word of God as I read these words from Philippians. This is Philippians 1, 15 through 18. Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering and my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of God, and I invite you to join with me in prayer. Please pray with me. Lord, through your scriptures now, we ask that you would speak to each and every one of us. Through your scriptures, Lord, help us to see and hear and know you better. Speak your word clearly to us. Through your Holy Spirit, illuminate your scriptures now. We thank you. We praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. One of the things that I love with Paul's letters is when you get those moments that open up to you the situation Paul finds himself in. Those moments that give us a little bit of the narrative behind the letter. Because remember, these letters, we take them out of context. We have to take them out of context because the context was this long-standing relationship that Paul had with the church in Philippian, in Philippi, the Philippians. That's the context, and we don't know all the details of that relationship. But every once in a while, we get a glimpse into the situation behind the letter, and where Paul is. And one thing that we know, and I mentioned this last week, and I'll continue to mention this throughout the sermon series, Paul is in prison. 
And what we learn from this section in Philippians is that in prison around Paul, there are others who are proclaiming Christ. In the whole situation that he's in, there are others proclaiming Christ. Some of them are proclaiming Christ out of good motives. They have good intentions. They know that Paul is there for the defense of the gospel, and they're proclaiming Christ in a way that supports Paul in his ministry. Others, we learn, however, are proclaiming Christ out of bad motives, out of selfish intentions. They're proclaiming Christ in a way that somehow increases Paul's suffering. They're actually trying to hurt Paul. So we see that in the situation Paul finds himself in as he's in prison, there is division within the Christians around him. They're proclaiming the same Christ, but yet they're divided about Paul. They're proclaiming the same Lord Jesus, but they're not on the same page about Paul. There is division there. This is one of the earliest examples of church division that we have. And I wish I could say that from that point on, the church figured it out in Paul's time and was never divided again. But we know that that is very clearly not true. Just take a glance at church history and church division has been with us since the very beginning of the church in Paul's day to today. We have all sorts of divisions. I mean, in our nation, we have one of the most divided churches in the history of the church. All sorts of different denominations, different sects of Christianity here in the United States. There's a handbook you could get called Handbook of Christian Denominations, and it is massive. So we have this divided church. And sometimes I think we have to step back and realize some of these divisions, they are utterly ridiculous. There's one story that I heard about a church split. There's in a town, two churches, one mile apart from each other, that have the same exact name. The two churches have the same name. They're one mile apart. So clearly, there's not that much that's separating them. But this church split, it happened because years earlier, there were two families that didn't get along. And there was a church potluck, and those two families who had been feuding for a long time, they both brought fried chicken. There was a new pastor to this church who didn't really know the whole situation with these families. And he walked by one end of the table at the potluck, and he picked up a piece of fried chicken. He bit into it and ate it, and then said, this is the best fried chicken I've ever eaten. The other family that had already brought fried chicken also... They packed up their stuff, they left the church, a bunch of people left with them, and they started a new church. <laughs> Fried chicken drove that church apart. This last week, I, I went on the internet and tried to look at some examples of church disagreements that, that were ridiculous. There was a survey that was done that had 25. I'm not going to share all 25 of those, but I just want to share with you some of the highlights of church disagreements. There was one church that had a severe argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. This was something that a church ended up dividing over, the worship pastor's beard. There was another church that had a fight over how to use land. One faction of the church wanted to use the land uh, in order to build a children's playground, and the other faction wanted to use it to build a cemetery. So clearly they had different visions for the future of that church. There was another church that had a fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. You got to keep in mind, folks, we don't know what Jesus looked like. So this church was fighting over which made-up picture 
of Jesus to put in the foyer, not even in the sanctuary too. Another church, they had an argument over whether or not the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. Now, I actually like deviled eggs, so I know which side I would be on that one. But some people had an issue with the fact that they were called deviled eggs. And there was another church that had a major fight and eventually a split that began because some church members hid the vacuum cleaner from another church member that eventually led to a church split. So we have to acknowledge sometimes these splits and these divisions, they're ridiculous. And, and we can and should laugh at them, even though that was probably very painful for all those people involved. It is, it is ridiculous. This is not the stuff the church should be arguing over. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that whenever there's any division, it's not actually the disagreement that is the problem. It's all of the unhealth underneath that disagreement. And while some churches split over petty things, there are some real differences, real disagreements that lead to church splits as well. I mean, the sad truth is that human beings, we divide. You get enough human beings together, eventually they're going to disagree about something. And eventually somebody's going to handle that disagreement in an unhealthy way and the people are going to divide. They're going to split. They're going to separate. I mean, oftentimes in the world, it ends up with violence. And sometimes in the church's history, it ends up with violence. Sadly, human beings, we just divide. We, we disagree. We don't handle it well. And we divide. But this is where Paul's words in Philippians 1, 15 through 18, are such a challenge to, to me and to each and every one of us. Because Paul, in response to the situation that he finds himself in, he responds not in an unhealthy way by increasing the division, by casting suspicion on the intentions of the people who disagree with him. Paul says he doesn't even care what their intentions are. Paul's looking at the result. He's looking at how Christ is being proclaimed. The fact that Jesus' name is getting out there, that's what Paul cares about. And I think that's a challenge for each and every one of us. And I know it's a challenge for me because I can think of so many Christian leaders who have come before me that I feel burned by, that I feel like they were not having the best intentions with what they were proclaiming. Both celebrities and people in my life, I can go, and if I wanted to, I could go through and question their motives, question their intentions. But that's where Paul challenges us. He challenges us to look past that, to realize that people are flawed. And what's important is Christ being proclaimed and that the Holy Spirit will use people's bad intentions towards good ends. It doesn't excuse bad behavior. But sometimes we have to move forward and get to that place where we're rejoicing that the church is still alive and that God is still working through it. Now, this would normally be the part of the sermon where I start getting really high and mighty and just say, we need to get over our divisions. We need to get over our disagreements. We need to just set all that stuff aside. But I'm too much of a realist for that. <laughs> if, if the church has been dealing with this for 2,000 years, we're not going to fix it today. 
We inherited a divided church and we can't fix it, but we can do what we, uh, we can do what we can do to make sure that when we hand the church off to a new generation, it's more united than when we received it. We can't fix it all, but we can do practical things to make the situation better. So rather than get high and mighty, which is usually very fun, I, I'm going to set that aside. And let's just look at some practical things we can do here or practical steps we can take that the Holy Spirit encourages us to and some just practical ideas we can hold on to that can just help us move forward in the direction the Spirit wants us to. And I, I, I know at Stonebridge here, I don't think division is a big problem for us. I don't think it is. I think we have people who know how to disagree well. But the more we hold on to that and the more we protect that, the greater witness we can have to our community and to our nation of just how to stay united amidst disagreements. So there's three practical ideas that I want to leave you with. The first of these is to remember in those moments when you're disagreeing with somebody or when you have a, a source that is encouraging you to disagree with people or drawing a division between you and others, you have to remember this. And I think this is very important. Not every disagreement is a crisis. Not every division is a crisis. We kind of go from zero to a hundred right away, especially in our um, polarized culture that we have right now with a lot of political polarization. We tend to go from zero to a hundred, but not everything is a crisis. Sometimes we can just cruise at 50 miles per hour and it's okay. And we're going to be okay. I remember a heartbreaking scene um, years ago. I watched these two families who had been in the same church for decades, who had raised their children together. I watched them get to a point where they could not worship with each other any longer because they had a disagreement over a social issue. It wasn't even what I would consider a, a theological issue. It was a social issue that they had a disagreement over, so they couldn't worship together any longer. It was heartbreaking. And I remember coming away from that situation and, and watching that and just saying, I really wish somebody had thought all this out before us. I really wish somebody had thought through what are the issues you divide over? What are the issues that you are justified in breaking relationship over? Now, I'm one who tends to believe that you don't break up a church, you don't divide a church, and you don't leave a church unless it's something that's very, very important. But what are those important things? When can we do that? Now, I had this thought, and I just kind of focused on that for a few, few days and then realized somebody probably has actually thought this through. Sometimes we get into this arrogance where we think that just because we don't know something, nobody else has thought it through or figured it out. Um, and I was in that moment. But then I reached out to a professor of mine who focuses on church history, and I asked him, has somebody thought this out? And he said, yes, actually, they have. And he pointed me to John Calvin. John Calvin is a theologian. He's the theologian that a lot of the, the theology behind the Presbyterian church, which is a tradition Stonebridge is a part of, he, he developed a lot of that theology. And he's known for what's called predestination, but he wrote a lot of other things too. And one of the things he wrote that had nothing to do with predestination was on this idea of essentials. And what Calvin did is he broke up different 
theological topics into three categories. One of those was indifferent. And this was stuff like, what kind of carpet should the church have? He wouldn't have had carpet in his day, but that, equivalent to today, that would be what it is. It's just stuff that, get over it, people. It's like, should we have deviled eggs or not? Just figure something out and move on. Don't spend a lot of time on that. Then he had this category of important. And the important things were difficult topics. They were topics that had to be discussed, had to be debated. They weren't just minor, but they also weren't essential. Because Calvin's third category was essentials. And the essentials, this was a, this was a fixed category. Nothing got moved into essentials. Nothing got moved out of essentials. There were three essentials according to John Calvin. Those three essentials are the Trinity, believing that God is three in one. It is the life and work of Jesus, which includes the resurrection of Jesus. And it is the belief that God saves us, we don't save ourselves. Those three things were the essentials to John Calvin. And when you had a group of people who came together and upheld those three, the church was present. And you could not divide that church. So you had to take these important categories, the, the topics that fit into that important category, you had to take those and you had to debate them, you had to dialogue them, but you could not let them get in the way of the church proclaiming Christ. I wish that those two families that I had witnessed split apart, that they had known about Calvin's thoughts here. And that they would have accepted that this person who laid the foundation for much of our theology has actually thought this through for us as well. And that they would have continued in fellowship, that they would have figured out a way to disagree, even though it was an important disagreement. I mean, important means important. It doesn't mean that it's indifferent. It means it is important. It was a real disagreement that they had. But as Christians, we have to dig deeper. We can't just divide over the things that the world is dividing over. We got to figure out, and it's difficult, and it's messy, but we have to figure out how do we stay together amidst disagreement, and how do we rally around those three essentials that Calvin talked about. I really wish that family had known that not every disagreement is a crisis, and not every disagreement should lead to division. Sometimes we can just cruise at around 50 miles per hour in our disagreements, and, it, and it's okay to do that for a while. So that's the first thing. Practically speaking, when you find yourself disagreeing with somebody or somebody you trust is telling you to disagree with somebody, just remember, not everything is a crisis. Does it have to do with those three essentials? And if not, put it in a different category and figure out you're going to have to work through that one. That's what God calls us to do as a church, I believe. The second thing, practical suggestion here, a practical idea to hold on to, is to remember that God is the one who instituted the church, and God did so for a specific reason. The church is here to proclaim Christ. We are here to let people know who Jesus is. This idea of evangelism, and I mean evangelism by just people understanding that God is at work in their lives, and that God raised Jesus from the dead, and they can place their hope in Jesus, proclaiming that message, that is why the church is here. And for 2,000 years, the church has actually done a pretty good job of carrying on the gospel and proclaiming Christ. And it's our job as today's church to, to be a part of the work the Holy Spirit has done through the church. We are here to proclaim Christ. So anytime we have a disagreement that pops up, anytime we have a difference of opinion that pops up, we have to ask, how are we going to proclaim Christ through this? 
How is this going to help us proclaim Christ? How can us working through this disagreement help us to proclaim Christ? That's the underlying question for everything that we do as a church. So whenever somebody's encouraging you to to divide or to split or to leave a church, just make sure you ask yourself the question, is this proclaiming Christ? How are we proclaiming Christ? Or anytime you see a disagreement rising up in a church, how can you proclaim Christ through that? And we have to keep ourselves focused because that is the reason that God put this church together. So the third thing I want to leave you with, and I think this is the most important. And when we look at God cultivating the church for the harvest of righteousness, this is something I think I'm going to be coming back to. This this third practical idea, something to help guide our actual practice, to remind ourselves of when we're in those difficult moments. We have to remember at all times The church is God's. It's not ours. It's not the pastors. It's not the elders. It's not the deacons. It's not the congregation members. It's not yours and it's not mine. The church is God's. This is God's church. We get to be a part of it for this time and this season. We get to, we are called by God to participate in the work that God is doing through the church, but it is God's. And because of that, We can't break the things that are God's. You're not going to walk into somebody's house and start breaking their furniture for the fun of it. When you come into a church, it is God's church. We have to remember that. And we have to not just try to divide and destroy because of a disagreement that we are having right now that feels so intense to us. We have to remember that this is God's church and one day God will take it back from us. God will pass it along to a new generation. And we want to make sure that we've done our part of coming alongside God's work so that when the church does get handed on to a new generation, it's thriving. That they have the resources to continue to proclaim Jesus. I love Paul's example here at the beginning of Philippians. He has got himself to this point where he is rejoicing because Christ is proclaimed even when it is harming him. Even when he knows their intentions are false, he is still able to see that Christ is being proclaimed. I hope that God brings us to that place as well. Not that we would be okay with people harming us. I do want to say, when I say all this stuff about division, I'm talking primarily about theological disagreements. If there is a situation where a church is manipulative or the church is harming people, that does not reflect the life and work of Jesus of Nazareth. That does not reflect Jesus' character. So when we're talking about these other disagreements, though, I hope we get to a point where we can look at churches that disagree with us on important topics and rejoice that people are finding Jesus through them. That we can look to churches that are on the other side of the political aisle than us and rejoice that they have a witness to people that we would not be able to reach. Even though there's real disagreements there, Christ is being proclaimed. I would hope that we can look at the diversity of the church in our nation and see it not as just a detriment, but to see it as an opportunity of Jesus using the church to reach all sorts of different kinds of people. That was Paul's perspective. 
And may the Holy Spirit give us that perspective as well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. safe within your name this we know this we know you promise never to forsake but you began you will sustain this we know this we know
rescue begin come find your mercy oh sinner come near earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal no earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal
sinner, be still. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. No earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Friends, wherever God may take you, may you go rejoicing that Christ is proclaimed. May you go rejoicing that the church still stands after 2,000 years. And may you go rejoicing that God has invited you to be a part of Stonebridge Community Church and the work the Holy Spirit is doing here through all of us. So may you go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the love of the Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace. Amen.